Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. All right. Welcome, citizens. Wednesday night. How are we feeling? Good. We're doing good. Wednesday night, best night of the week. I'm so pumped that you guys are here. We are starting a brand new series tonight in the book of James. I'm super excited about that. We're going to be in the book of James for uh, a couple weeks, to say the least. We're going to be uh, covering every single verse in the book of James over the next, I don't know, like 12 weeks or something like that. And the title of the series is Faith in Action. Faith in Action. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to James chapter 1. If you're new here tonight, I'm so thankful you guys are here. Uh, We've been watching so many new students walk through our doors. And if I haven't met you yet, my name's Noah. I'm super pumped that you guys are here. And uh, we are a community of students learning to live for Jesus. And that's who we are. And so uh, if you're here tonight and you're new and that's something you want to be a part of, you are always welcome to join us. Faith in action. If you're in this room, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've put your faith in Jesus, then your life should be different than before you met Jesus. Our faith in Jesus changes everything about us. Because of our faith in Jesus, we passionately are excited to do what his word says. When we're saved, we're not just saved um, and we get to just celebrate the fact that we won't be eternally separated from God. That's a beautiful truth. But God has actually saved us and called us to do something while we are here on this earth. James, the author of this book, tells us that we need to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We need to put our faith in action. James is encouraging his listeners to do something with their faith. James is writing about spiritual wisdom all throughout his book, and he is encouraging his listeners to take note and to do something. I love the book of James. I love the letter that James writes. Out of the 108 verses right, in the book of James, over 50 of those verses are imperatives, meaning these are commandments, these are instructions, these are uh, practical truths. About half of the verses in this book are directly applicable. Go do this, don't do this. Instructions, do that, faith in action. We want citizens to be a community of students that aren't just hearing the word, but going out and doing the word. They're going out into, you guys are going out into your communities, to your schools, and doing what God, God's word says to do. Faith in action. We're going to be here for a little bit of time. Super excited about that. So who is James? Who is this guy? James 1, verse 1, it says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is James? Well, James had the best brother in the history of the world. Oh, did we know this? Who is that? Do you know who James's half-brother was? Trick question. James was the half-brother of Jesus. All right, we know Jesus, of course, was the only true son of God, but while uh, he was on earth, uh, Jesus had a half-brother, James. Imagine being Jesus's brother, right? 
Like imagine going to a party and like talking to someone and then you like kind of name drop. You're like, yeah, my brother Jesus. And they're like, oh my goodness, what? That is crazy, right? Like imagine being like LeBron James's brother. And I don't even know if he has a brother. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> I feel like I would know that, but I don't know that. Imagine being LeBron James's brother and then someone finds out all they want to do is talk about, did you know your brother was going to be one of the best basketball players of all time? Imagine trying to like promote your own thing and it's like, oh yeah, that guy, he's like LeBron's brother or whatever. I don't think James minded too much just bragging on his brother Jesus, right? Best brother in the history of the world. So James wrote this letter around 35 AD. And uh, people think, or scholars believe that this was possibly the first writing that ended up in the New Testament. This was probably one of the first, if not the first writings in what we call now the New Testament. James, just getting right on it very much in his character. Who is he writing to? In verse one, it says this, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. All right, what does that mean? What is, what is he talking about? Well, uh, James is addressing the 12 tribes, uh, referring to the 12 tribes of Israel, the believers, the people of God, who are now spread out all amongst the known uh, world at the time. And James is writing to these people. James gives practical wisdom and instructions for the uh, dispersion of the believers. People who are now spread all over the world, who may have seen Jesus, who may have uh, heard of somebody who had a direct encounter with Jesus, but now these people are following Jesus through faith. This is who James is writing to. These brand new first century believers uh, maybe struggled a bit, to say the least. That might be understating it a little bit. These people that he's writing to, these brand new first century believers, uh, James is addressing uh, sins of partiality, right? People are treating uh, certain people great because they have wealth and people who are not so great because they don't have wealth. He's correcting their speech, their conduct, their words. He's correcting how they should be feeling about trials. He's correcting how people should be feeling about wealth and status. James is um, ultimately speaking to the heart of these brand new believers. And more so than the things they struggled with internally, they had a world around them that was putting immense pressure on them for living for Jesus. These people would have not just struggled with their internal struggles, they would have ultimately faced uh, persecution from the world, they would have faced ridicule from family and friends, and ultimately at the end of the day, they would have had to have feared for their very lives because of their faith in Jesus. That's who uh, James is talking to. And so that's where we're gonna be in the next, for the next couple of weeks. Faith in action. Verse two is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's really exciting. James, he uh, gives a pretty short greeting and he just jumps right in with this verse. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I'm not sure if there's ever a better time to put your faith in action than when things are not going super well for you. I think the world looks at us when things are going poorly in our lives and they get to see our faith in full display. This is where we put our faith in actions, friends. And James jumps right into this letter. Consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. I think it's funny. I mean, I've been here for like, this is like my fourth or fifth message, I think. And like, my first three messages were all about like trials and how to um, embrace the Lord in the midst of trials. And I was kind of, I was like, oh man, I'm really pumped to get out of this series. Like it's a pretty intense series to start off with. And I was like, James, book of James, I'm so excited. Last week while I was studying, I opened up and I was like, oh, I forgot. 
James starts his letter talking about trials. <laughs> oh my goodness, like these people are gonna think I'm all doom and gloom. Here's Noah again talking about how much life sucks. Oh man, here we go, buckle up. Noah's talking about when things are really hard. But on a serious note, I'm really thankful that God's word doesn't shy away from our deepest fears. I'm really thankful that God's word doesn't shy away from questions like, what do I do when like, I'm really struggling as a person? God's word doesn't shy away from, what do I do when I'm in pain? What do I do when my heart is broken? God, is there a purpose for this? Is there a plan for this? Where do I go when I need help? God's word doesn't shy away from those questions. We may have asked a couple of those questions this past year, and God's word does not shy away from them. Often I think people who are skeptical of Christianity and church and religion in general, I, I often think that um, people criticize um, this reality. Sometimes people, I think, can say things like, well, it's great that people have the Bible and they, they worship and that's all good. They give to their church. That's fine and good. But that book, the Bible, they don't have any, it doesn't have any real answers when my life is uh, falling apart. The Bible doesn't have any real answers when things are not going the way I thought they would, when things are difficult. To those people, I don't know if they've actually encountered the truth that's in God's word because this book is full, just absolutely full of God showing us and instructing us on how we're supposed to deal with our trials, how we're supposed to deal with our pain and disappointment. God's word doesn't shy away from those big questions. Does the Bible answer uh, our questions about our pain and problems? Yes, I believe it does. Tonight, we're gonna get to see clearly God's purpose for our trials. God's plan for his people in the midst of difficulty. Our big idea for tonight, in our trials, God has a purpose for our pain. We're gonna dive here, uh, dive in here. Let's pray uh, one more time real quickly before we do. God, we're so thankful that you have a purpose for our pain. We're so thankful that your word doesn't shy away from the difficult questions. God, help us to be uh, doers of the word, not just listeners. Would we live out our faith on a daily basis? It's all this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we are, James chapter one, starting in verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God has a purpose for our pain. Point one tonight, the believer is not complete without trials. Go ahead and write that down. The believer is not complete without trials. Let's look at this verse again. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, many of us might look at that right away and think, okay, well now James and the Bible, God's Holy Spirit, uh, he has set a pretty impossible standard for us in this moment, right? Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Um, okay, let me try that. You're telling me when, when my friend is sick, you're telling me when my dad loses his job, you're telling me when uh, my mom, who I've been praying for for so long, still doesn't know you, God, you're telling me that when these things happen, I'm supposed to be like totally cool with it and like totally okay? 
Like, yippee, I'm, I'm in pain, I'm in suffering. Like, maybe if I was more spiritual, I'd actually be able to be happy when these things are happening. But like, when bad times happen, I still feel pretty upset. I still feel pretty disappointed. Maybe you've had this verse um, taken out of context in your life before. Maybe one time you've shared a difficult situation in your life and like your super spiritual Christian friend, like Jesus juked you and was like, oh dude, James one, count it all joy. That's the problem. And you're like, oh, let me try that, thanks. Let me just try that out. What's God's word saying? What's God's word saying? Look back at the text. It says what, count it all joy my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. God is calling us to something so much deeper in the midst of our trials. God's not calling us to earthly happiness. God's not calling us to be totally stoked and hyped up that we're going through a season of pain, but God is calling us to be joyful. Biblical joy and earthly happiness are not the same thing. They could quite possibly, possibly be the most opposite of each other. They are very opposite. Earthly happiness comes to us when our ideas and our plans are coming into fruition. I got an A on the test. I connected with a new friend. I got a promotion. I got a compliment from someone that I respect. Earthly happiness isn't wrong. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. Don't hear me uh, wrong on that. Earthly happiness is a good thing, but earthly happiness is fleeing. Earthly happiness is temporary. And on the flip side of that coin, we have earthly disappointments. I failed that test. I had a friend uh, who I cared about walk away from our friendship. I uh, disappointed a leader that I cared about. And earthly happiness and sadness uh, sadness comes and goes like the wind, but we as believers are called to something so much deeper, and that is joy. Joy. God has called us to be joyful in the midst of our circumstances. And joy only comes from God. Joy only comes from the Lord. You can't muster up enough earthly good experiences to feel true joy in the presence of the Lord. You can't, we can't manufacture it on our own. So when we meet trials, when we are experiencing trials, we can take joy in them because we can take joy in God's plan and God's purposes for us. Biblical joy only comes when we understand God's character and we're content in his plans. Joy is a higher calling, friends. Joy is only possible when we understand God's character and God's plan. So what is God's plan for our life? Well, let's keep reading. What's God's plan for us in the midst of trials? So when you experience trials of various kinds, take joy for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Our trials are for your spiritual maturity, friends. Our trials, the things that we experience, are for our spiritual maturity. We can be joyful because God is using our trials to make us more spiritually mature. Our trials, here we see in the text, are producing steadfastness. Steadfastness, faithful endurance through a difficult time. And through that steadfastness, God is perfecting our faith so that we would be complete, lacking in nothing. God doesn't do things halfway. Like God doesn't start a project and be like, I'll get back to it later and like never finishes it. Right, when God created the earth, he created the earth 
And he looked down on it and said, this is very good. Everything that God does, he finishes it. It's in his character. It's what he does. Like I'm, I'm the king of starting a book. You guys know where this is going. I read the first 50 pages and I'm like, this is awesome. This is really cool. And then I like see another book. I'm like, that one looks cool too. And I like kind of leave that book and I read another book. And then like two or three years later, people are like, did you read that book? And I'm like, oh, I think I read like the first 50 pages. And then I read like the first 50 pages of another book, right? Anyone else? Am I the only one who does that? A lot of book nerds in the Pacific Northwest. So I don't know, maybe I'm just the only one. I'm just the dummy from uh, South Jersey who just doesn't finish books, I guess. But no, I, I always just start something and I'm like, ah, maybe I'll get back to it later. I'm also the king of like forgetting things around. I don't know if you've seen it so far. This water bottle has probably been in every room in this building so far. And I'm just like, every day I'm like, where did I put my water bottle? Where did I, yeah, yeah, it is mine. So if you've seen this around, it's mine. It's probably gonna be somewhere in this building. Leaders have picked up on this and actually been really nice. I'll like put it down somewhere, like in the most random place. And I'll walk away and I'll start talking to someone else. And then I'll randomly like start looking around like, where did I put that thing? And now leaders are just like, here, you drop this. This is for you. I'm like, thank you. Appreciate that. I'm the king of forgetting things. I'm the king of starting books and not finishing them. But God's not like that. God doesn't do things halfway. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. He doesn't do things halfway. He doesn't forget what project he started. He's going to make sure that that thing is complete. And friends, he has a plan and a purpose for you to be sanctified. We get a glimpse of this here in verse four, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing in your faith. God's plan and God's purpose for you in this life is to become more like him, to love the things that he loves and to hate the things that he hates. That's God's plan and God's purpose for you ultimately at the end of the day, to be made complete. And God began that work in you and he is going to continue to do that for you, friends. God is constantly molding us into a more perfect picture of himself. And friends, verse four shows us here that while God is doing that, while God is molding us and shaping us into who he wants us to be, that process is going to contain trials. That process is going to contain moments that you would not have picked for yourself. God's plan for you is to be complete in your faith, lacking nothing, and it's going to contain trials. That's God's heart for you. That's God's heart for you is to be complete in your faith, to be sanctified, to be made more like him. That's God's heart. Is that your heart too? Do you share God's heart in wanting to have a more complete and perfect faith? Because that's God's heart. But he makes us more perfect through trials and difficulty, right? He does it with the inconveniences, with the disappointments, with the pain. God uses those situations to what? Produce steadfastness. And when we let that steadfastness take full effect, then the Lord is working in those moments and then he is perfecting and molding our faith. Is that your heart? Do you share in God's heart with that? Or are there seasons and situations, anytime you reach an inconvenience, a slight bump in the road or a big bump in the road, you say, okay, like this isn't for me. A lot of us want what? A lot of us want spiritual maturity 
God, I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better brother. I want to be a better communicator of your word. I want to be a better leader. I want to do the things that you've called me to do. I want you to make me spiritually mature, but can we like skip the trial part? Can we skip that middle part? Friends, it is not just despite the pain and the problems of this world that we're growing as Christians. It is actually through those difficult seasons and those difficult situations that we're growing as Christians. Do you see that? Do you believe that? It's not like, oh, this trial's getting in the way of me becoming more like God. No, that trial is making you more like God. What do we do knowing this? What do we do in this season, in this situation, when things are not going the way that we wanted? What do we do knowing that God has a purpose for our trials? Well, it's right here in verse 4. Everyone look at verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Steadfastness. Let it have its full effect. Friend, God doesn't waste your pain. God doesn't waste your pain. But we have to let steadfastness have its full effect. That word there, to to be steadfast, means to remain under, right? When the pressure of a trial or a difficult season is like pressing down on you and you can feel the weight on your shoulders of this difficult season, God is telling us to remain steadfast in that because that's where God grows us. That's where God molds us. It's his purpose to allow us to to experience the pain and the troubles in order that we would be made more complete. Friend, God doesn't waste your pain, but you need to remain steadfast in that trial. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Don't pretend like it doesn't exist. God knows and you know. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Faithful endurance faithful endurance with the Lord. Allow God to use it to perfect your faith and take joy in knowing that God is doing something inside of you. Take joy in knowing that God is creating a more perfect faith in you as you experience those things. Let steadfastness have its full effect. The Christian is not complete without trials. God doesn't uh, forget what he started in you. He's going to continue that we have to remain steadfast under trials so that we can experience the blessing of walking through that trial with the Lord. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Look down at verse five. Verse five says this, and if any of you Lacks, lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive what? Anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways." Number two, friend, in our trial, faith grounds us while doubts destabilize us. In our trials, faith grounds us to the Lord, but doubts destabilize us. When we recognize that God has a plan for us in our trials, 
this will create steadfastness. And when we decide to stay under that trial, right, when we agree with God, when we cooperate with God, and we stay under that trial and stay in that pain, God produces in us a more perfect faith. And in the midst of that trial, did you catch it in verse 5? We can ask for wisdom from God. How incredible is it that, uh, one, God has a plan for us. God has a plan for you when you're experiencing pain, when you're experiencing difficulty. God has what a plan for you. Two, he's using that plan to perfect your faith. And in the middle of that trial, God is offering you his wisdom in the middle of that thing. Wisdom. God, I don't know if I can act like you in this minute. God, I'm in so much pain. I don't know if I can do the things that you've called me to do because I'm experiencing so much pain. God would answer that. God would say that through his word. If you're experiencing that, if you're lacking the wisdom, if you're lacking the thing that you need in order to act like me during this trial, just ask me. He gives generously that wisdom to you in the midst of that difficulty. He's giving us Wisdom. Wisdom is from God, friends. Wisdom is from God. What is wisdom not? All right, well, wisdom isn't good advice. Wisdom isn't inspired by man. Wisdom isn't intelligence, right? Knowing a lot about math or science. Wisdom is godly behavior in difficult situations. If any of you lacks wisdom, right, specifically talking about trials here, let him ask God who gives it generously. If you don't have the ability to act like God in those difficult moments, God says, here, you can have my wisdom. When we're asking for wisdom, specifically in the midst of trials, we're asking for a kingdom mindset. God, would you give me your perspective on this? Would you give me your heart on this? When we're asking for wisdom in the middle of the trials, we ask God for a level of discernment that only comes from him. God, would you help me see the things that I maybe wouldn't be able to see on my own? When we're asking for wisdom in our trial, we're asking for God's heart and his perspective on all things. When we're asking for wisdom in the midst of the trial, we're not asking for an answer, right? God, can you please tell me why this friend betrayed me? Like, I just need to know that and then I'll be good. God, could you please just tell me why, God, uh, why, why my dad lost his job and we might have to move? Because if you could just tell me that, then I'd understand. We're not asking God for a specific answer in that moment. We're asking for his wisdom. We're not asking for the solution to ease our pain in that moment. God, could you just give me wisdom so I can get out of this thing? So I can move on from this? Could you give me the wisdom that I need in order? That's not what we're asking for. We don't have access to God's sovereign plan over all things. Only God has that. When we're asking for wisdom, we're asking for his uh, perspective. We're asking for his heart. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. This is a good thing, friends. Are you asking for wisdom? When things go wrong, when you're in the midst of pain, right? Okay, if you agree with God that this thing is gonna make you a more perfect Christian, in the middle of that, if you're in that season, are you still asking God for wisdom? Or are you just kind of waiting for the storm to ride itself out? Friends, God is there with you. It's a pretty sweet gig for us, honestly. 
God's perfecting us. He's molding us. He's doing something new in us. And he's saying, I'm willing to help you through it. Are you asking for it? And are you asking for it in faith? So what happens when we don't have faith? What happens when we don't have faith? In our faith, God causes us to be stable. We're we're able to be uh, steadfast and stable in the midst of difficult circumstances when we have faith in him. But what happens when we don't? What happens when we're not fully trusting that God has good plans for us? What happens when we are doubting the goodness of God? Right? Let him ask in faith for that wisdom with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. Not a really good report card for the person who has doubts. Friends, doubts uh, destabilize us in the midst of trial. Doubts will destabilize us. Left, right, up, and down, we don't know what we're doing. It's kind of like this. I don't know if you've ever been to a concert or like, uh, I don't know, I haven't been to a concert in like 30 years or whatever. Um, But sometimes there's like a beach ball in the audience and it's like super distracting, but it's like kind of cool at the same time. All right, I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna throw this out into the audience. All right, we ready? We ready? All right, now one thing, you can't let it touch the ground, okay? I understand we're all spaced apart, kind of, um, but don't let it touch the ground. Are we ready? All right. Well, we've already failed. Wow. This has gone very poorly. All right, let's see. All right, don't touch the ground. Well, this is... All right, it's going to stay up here. This was a disaster. No, you've lost your privileges. It's staying over there. It would have made more sense if people were together. It's okay. I thought maybe it would work. It didn't. It's okay. Will I have an illustration that lands one day? One day it'll happen, I think, right? What are we supposed to do as maturing Christians? We need to have faith when we ask God for his wisdom. Because when we doubt, we're like that ball that's just bouncing around this room that doesn't know up from down, from left to right. Every doubt that we have sends waves of fear. Uh, Can we ever experience doubt, right? Can you ever in your life experience a moment of doubt? Well, I think yes, you can experience moments of doubt. You can experience moments where you're asking God those big questions. We can't listen to our doubts. We can't follow our doubts. We can't make doubt our compass, our guiding light. When we blind ourselves with doubt to the reality of God's sovereignty, then we miss the blessings of being steadfast in those trials. We miss out on the blessings of remaining faithful to God in those trials. We become unstable, bouncing around life, wondering what's up and down. Right, because if we're not putting our full faith and trust in God, we're going to put our faith and trust somewhere else, whether that's in your own plans, whether that's in uh, your own perspective, someone else's perspective. And this is a perfect image James gives us of someone who trusts God, but then doesn't. And then he is asking in faith, but then he is doubting, right? Left and right, up and down. Friends, doubts destabilize us. If you have a relationship with the Lord, if you know him personally, You can trust him in the midst of your trial. 
Don't doubt God's goodness. Do not doubt what God is doing in your heart through this. So looking back here at our text, we can be joyful in the midst of trials because we know that God is doing something in the middle of them. The band's gonna come up here um, as we close. And James is super practical, right? James has 50 imperatives in his book. So what do we do in the midst of troubles? What do we do when things are not going the way we wanted to? What do we do when we're experiencing so much pain? What do we do in times of trouble? I think the text was super clear to us. In just these uh, short few verses, one, we remain steadfast. That, that, That word steadfast, to remain under that trial. We remain steadfast. We don't, uh, we don't tell God to just get rid of this thing. We don't uh, tell God, can you please just move on already? We remain steadfast in the middle of that trial. What else do we do? Verse four, Schultz told us, verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask for God. Ask for God to give it to you. So we remain steadfast. We ask for wisdom. And finally, we believe. We believe that God can give us that wisdom in the midst of that trial. We believe that God can give us his perspective in the midst of that pain. In times of trouble, we trust that God is good and his plans are for our spiritual development and for our good. Friends, God does not waste your pain. In a room full of in a room of the size, I, I'm sure that there's people who right now would say, uh, yeah, that's me right now. I'm in the midst of that painful season. I'm in the midst of that trial. That person who I cared about so much betrayed me. That thing that was keeping me steady seems to have just disappeared. That loved one that I know, their future's uncertain. I know in a room like this, there's gotta be a few people right now who are describing themselves in that season. How are you looking at your trial? How are you viewing your trial? Do you see your trial? Do you see this difficult circumstance as just a mere inconvenience between you and the good life? Like, man, if it wasn't for this thing, I would be doing great. Do you see it as that? Or do you see your trial as God's holy and perfect tool to perfect you and to perfect your faith in and through that pain? Or is it just an inconvenience? How are you looking at your trial? Maybe you've grown numb to your trial, right? Maybe uh, you've had too many things happen in your life, too many to count. And now when bad times come, when difficult seasons just come, you kind of just let it happen. You just patiently wait until they're done and you never really reap the benefits of seeing God use that trial in your life. Friends, we need to be steadfast in the midst of that. That's not being lazy. It's addressing the trial and it's embracing the Lord in it. Are you asking for God's wisdom in the midst of this trial? Or are you just asking God, would you just take this away from me? Or are you praying, God, I know you have a plan. I know you have a purpose in the midst of this.
Would you give me your wisdom? Would you give me your perspective? And finally, are you trusting God in this trial? Are you trusting in his plan and his purpose and his goodness for your life? We know God's character. We know who he is. We know what he has done for you and for us. We can trust him in the midst of this. How are you looking at it? How are you viewing this? We talked about it earlier. God's turning graves into gardens. The things that we look at as death, the things we look at as disappointment, God can use those things and, and, and work in and through those things to perfect your faith, to make something beautiful inside of you. God will turn your trial into a testimony of his goodness. But you have to be steadfast. We have to remain under. Let it have its full effect so that we can be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God doesn't waste your trial, but we can. We can waste it. We can run away from the pain. We can avoid a situation altogether because we know it might be difficult. And we never reap the benefits of growing spiritually. God doesn't waste your pain, friends. Embrace it. I'd love for us, we're gonna pray here. If everyone could just bow their heads. If you're in this moment right now, I'd love for everyone to just keep their eyes closed. No looking around. If you're in this moment and you are just in a season when you are like, yes, this is a trial. I'm walking through something. I'm experiencing something that I do not want. I would love to just pray for you in this moment. With everyone still uh, eyes closed, heads bowed. If you just describe that, like that's your season right now, could you just lift your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. No one looking around. And you're just saying, man, this has been difficult. I'd love to just pray for you right now. I'd love to just pray for God's wisdom for you in the midst of this. I see all these hands. God, we love you. We're thankful for you. God, we're thankful that in the midst of the pain, in the midst of these difficulties, you are doing something new in us. God, I pray that we would be joyful. I pray that we would have a supernatural joy from you in the midst of these trials right now for the students who are raising their hands saying, that's me. God, I pray that you would allow them to be steadfast that they would remain under the pressure of the trial so that you would create a more perfect faith in them. God, I pray for your wisdom, your holy perspective, your holy uh, uh, just spirit to be with them in this trial, God. I pray that they wouldn't run from this, that they would embrace it, that they would know that you're working this out for their good. God, and for your glory. We love you. We pray for a fresh abundance of faith for those who are walking through this trial. And God, we pray for those who are in a season of peace. Would they walk alongside of those uh, that are struggling in this moment? We love you. 
We're thankful for you. God, in the midst of this moment, would we be able to run to you confidently in our pain? Would we run to you confidently knowing that you will accept us, Lord? Help us right now. Help us in this moment. Give us your wisdom. Help us to know you're doing something good. Would we run to you in faith tonight? Jesus, it's all this we pray in your holy name.